I tend to not use the word healthy as much as I use the word like nutritious or less nutritious, because I think I could say anything is healthy because it could be healthy in a social aspect, or it could be healthy in a traditional aspect, could be healthy in a cultural aspect. It doesn't always mean it's nutritious, but it still has a health impact. And so, you know, if I'm going to talk about a food, I might say it's less nutritious, but that's not good or bad because it could still be healthy if that means I'm enjoying company of family and friends. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you'll see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and it's a pleasure, as always, to have you here listening. Now, how is everyone doing? I know I can't hear you, but still, I want this to be an invitation for you to take this moment for a little self-check-in. You know, lately I've been trying to do this more often where I just ask myself, how am I doing? I mean, we get asked this all the time by anyone and everyone, you know, out in the world, by your server at the restaurant, by the cashier at the store, by relatives, friends, etc. And usually we give a pretty generic response, right? Like, I'm good. We're decent. How are you? And so I want this to be a check-in with yourself of how are you really doing? And lately, (laughs) I've been actually surprised by how often I feel inclined to answer, like, I'm feeling stressed, or I'm tired, or I'm anxious, etc. And granted, there are still lots of times when the answer is, oh, I'm so happy, I'm relaxed, I'm grateful, blah, 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 you know, all the good stuff. But nevertheless, like, it doesn't hurt to check in with yourself and just see what's happening. I think so often we can just become very blind to how we feel because say we're spending every day in an anxious state of mind or in a stressed state of mind or tired, it's like we grow immune to it. (laughs) We don't realize how tired or how anxious or how stressed we are, usually until we feel good. And then we're like, oh, so this, this, this is what it feels like to be happy. This is what it feels like to be relaxed. This is what it feels like to be clear headed, clear minded and grateful, right? Like it takes us really feeling normal or good or whatever to then see how else we've been feeling and so I just like these little self check-ins because I think they kind of catch you off guard when you ask yourself it and you be honest and it's like oh I guess I am anxious or tired or stressed today and you know I think for me personally yeah there's a lot of quote-unquote good right now but there's also still a lot to work on And, you know, so when I'm making the most of life here in Austin, which I love, you know, seeing places, exploring, grabbing coffee with a friend, you know, cozying up in my apartment, I love it. And I feel really good. But there's still a lot of other things that aren't so fun, but they still need to be acknowledged, right? So late at night, early in the morning, midday, when I'm feeling stressed, or I have like old eating disorder habits or thoughts pop up, or I get angry because I'm so stressed or I start to feel how uncomfortable I am in my body, right? Like these are all things that still come up and they still deserve to be acknowledged just as the quote unquote good times do as well. 
It's all just part of the natural balance in life of experiencing both highs and lows and everything in between. And I think that these check-ins help us A, identify how we're feeling, and then B, raise the overall awareness to the fact of, oh, I feel blank, blank, blank. Because awareness is the first step to any change, evolution, growth, etc. And this is actually a really good practice to do in your day-to-day life. You know, share it with a friend, do it yourself, however. But it's also a very good practice, I think, that goes in alignment with today's episode, which is on binge eating, binge eating disorder, and how to work towards recovery. Now, I know this is a loaded topic, and I think partially because there's so much, like, blurry lines. There's so many blurry lines. There's so much information that's not properly shared or it's not properly explained. And so it gets kind of fuzzy when people discuss this because it's it's like, what is what, right? And so today I had on, well, today's episode that you'll be listening to is with Marissa of Binge Nutritionist on Instagram. And I found her account a while ago, actually, because she makes these amazing infographics, which it's like, it's her picture with like food and a background, but words too. So you're reading, you know, what's happening in the post, whatever. I'm sure you guys know what an infographic is. Otherwise go check out her Instagram. Anywho, her infographics and her posts are so on point. They resonated so deeply that I just knew I was like, I have to have her on to discuss this because as you'll hear in today's episode, I've had my own like blurry past of, okay, was that just binge eating? Was it overeating or was it binge eating disorder? And I never knew what to classify it as. So I didn't really feel comfortable sharing too much about it on here and previous episodes because I didn't want to claim it was something when it really wasn't. But after discussing you know, this topic with her in today's convo, I'm just like blown away because I don't know, there's just so much information that we just don't know about it. And so one of the first things we discuss is the difference between binge eating, binge eating disorder, and overeating. Now, I've personally, and I've openly shared this with you guys, struggled with overeating a lot, especially in the terms when it comes to coping, you know, like emotional eating, which is also something else in its own entirety. <laughs> and then in my own disordered eating past and in my recovery process, I've experienced binge eating. Mine was not, mine would not be classified as the disorder, but it was definitely, I had events and circumstances of binge eating. And so for me, that's huge because it kind of gives me direction on where to move, moving, where to look, where to work, moving forward. So hopefully that's what this episode can bring you a bit of clarity. Anywho, so we discuss what the difference is between those three, how the binge cycle begins and how to break it. So this is the restrict and binge cycle which you guys have heard us talk about in previous episodes with previous guests. It is a very common and hard cycle, but as with all cycles, you can work through it. You can break it. Uh, So then we go into the physical, mental, emotional triggers for binges, how to identify them, how to be proactive, you know, kind of get ahead of the game and kind of work to, to almost, you know, like, not stop it because you don't want to, you don't want to further the restriction, but I don't know. Marissa explains it better. You guys just listen. You know what? She'll walk you through it. (laughs) But in this also how society, uh, diet culture, just the way we live in this modern world really promotes this behavior of binging, of overeating. Um, 
Wow, there goes a motorcycle. Apartment living, you guys know the drill. Um, And then also in this, the importance of self-compassion versus falling into the shame spiral, the guilt funnel after any of these occurrences um, so that you're not just going right back into the restrict and binge cycle. And then more, just so much more information overall on it, just to understand the what, the how, and the why behind binges. Because I fully believe this, that the first step to recovery is self-awareness and then to educate so that hopefully, you know, you can work with yourself and or with others to find recovery and to find some relief and support. So hopefully this episode and this conversation helps you and supports you in one way or another. And once again, you know, if you listen and this resonates, um, you hear my story, you hear Marissa's information or her education she shares with us, like reach out, let's connect. I would love to discuss this with you just to, yeah, I mean, honestly, swap stories, whatever it is, however I can be here to support you, I want to be there. And so you can connect with us on Instagram. I'm on there at Emily Feichels and Marissa is on there at binge.nutritionist. Both will be linked below. As always, if you like this episode and if you think it could help someone else in your life, share it on Instagram, tag us, send it to a friend, leave a rate and review. Whatever you do, it supports the show, it supports me, and just supports this amazing community that we have. So without further ado, let's begin. Well, I guess just to start out and give people an introduction into who you are and what we'll be discussing today, could you just give a bit about yourself, you know, how you got started in this line of work, and then we'll just sort of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I became a registered dietitian a little under a year ago, actually, but it's been a long road to get here. So originally I was looking to pursue acting straight out of high school. And so I spent quite a few years in that industry trying to pursue that, but in that pursuit got sucked into diet culture. And so I was on a cleanse or a detox or some fad diet all the time. And in doing that, I got you know, into this uh, restrict binge cycle and sometimes restrict binge purge cycle. And that was really destructive and went on for quite a few years, about four years. And I tried to seek help, but it was really difficult to find help or get a diagnosis as somebody who wasn't underweight or, or didn't fit that usual criteria for an eating disorder. And so, you know, without a diagnosis, it's really hard to get treatment. So I ended up pursuing recovery on my own. So that, you know, was really, really tough, but I did it. But through that, I realized nobody should have to go through this alone. And I felt like I really discovered a lot of what was helpful and what worked, at least for me and and with people that I had spoken to. So that's when I decided to go back to school to become a registered dietitian. So it's my second career, but finally, you know, got through it all, finished my master's in dietetics, got my registration, and now I'm a dietitian um, helping people primarily with binge eating and that restrict binge cycle. Okay. That's so neat. And I mean, I, I'm always curious because I feel like nowadays it is so common for us, you know, for people to fall into some sort of disordered way of eating or, you know, thinking, living, etc. And so I guess kind of starting with the basics here, you mentioned the restrict and the binge cycle. I'm very familiar with it. I know many listening are as well, but just to give like the basis of it, how would you describe that sort of 
restrict and binge cycle just as like to lay the framework yeah. for it. Yeah, absolutely. So it usually starts something as simple as a diet or calorie restricting. Um, so, you know, my fitness pal, all of those things that tell you, you know, eat under this amount when you're chronically doing that, our body wants to protect us. Our body really doesn't know the difference between a diet you're on and a famine. And so in turn, it tries to protect us by causing us to have an extreme desire to eat more. So that way we will in order to give us what we need. Um, and so binging is kind of the other end of the pendulum of that. So one end is the restricting and then the other end is the binging, which is where we eat a large amount of food in a short period of time. Um, and that's usually accompanied by a feeling of losing control. It really is a feeling of like blacking out almost because it's not in our control. Our body is saying, give me more food. You've been restricting and I need more. So there's all of a sudden this rush. Once we finally allow ourselves to give in a little bit where it feels like we're really out of control. So, um, that type of cycle continues when somebody then thinks, okay, well, because I, I binged, I overdid it. I quote unquote cheated on this diet. I now need to go even more in and restrict even more, maybe skip a meal to make up for it. But then by doing that, we're starting back with the restriction. And so the cycle continues, restrict, and then you binge, and then you restrict to make up for the binge, and then you binge because you're restricted, and it's exhausting um, until finally you somehow break that cycle by stopping the restriction, because that's really at the core of it. Yeah, it really, I mean, there's so many cycles that happen in the everyday in our life. And once you become aware of them, it's astounding to like, you know, see it and really understand it and be aware of it. And, you know, what's interesting is for, in my experience and talking with others is so many of us are just seeking control in our life in some way. And for a lot of us, we find a bit of control by trying to control what we eat, how much we eat, when we eat, how our body looks, all these things. And then, but, you know, there comes to be that breaking point of it's like, you know, for me and my own experience, you know, in my high school years, it was controlling all day, how much I ate, what I ate, feeling very in control and good, right? But really it was that restrictive mindset and then going home. And like you said, it's like, you just have that little bit of give. And then suddenly it's just like the wave <laughs> like overcomes you. Right. And that's, you know, oftentimes when like the binge can happen. Um, but on that note, I wanted to discuss something that you did an article on the other day and I was very fascinated by, and it is the difference between overeating, binge eating, and binge yes. disorder. And I think this is something that needs to be discussed because I personally have no clue of the difference. I mean, I have some ideas, but I don't know for sure. And I've never been able to properly identify what I went through. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear your insight. Like, what is the difference between these three aspects just to like create some clarification there? Yeah, absolutely. And I wrote that article because I met so many people who think every time they overeat, they're binging. And so then there's an, an extra layer of guilt associated with that. I'm like, no, listen, it's totally human to overeat. Sometimes I overeat, you know, it is human. So let's talk about the differences. And like, yes, it can overeating can become a problem if it's very consistent, but it's not, you know, as big of a problem as if you're, you have binge eating disorder. So it's somewhat of a spectrum. Um, so the differences. So like I said, overeating is human. Um, but 
when I think of overeating, I don't think of overeating past a certain number or past a certain, I don't know, calorie or a macro or a type of food, eating a lot of a type of food. It's There's no real objective measure of overeating. It's really subjective, meaning you eat past the level of satiety that feels comfortable. You know, Thanksgiving, for example, we all do it because it's part of the tradition. It's just part of the experience. Totally fine. Totally normal. We want to enjoy all the yummy food and the experience of it. Um, But we get a little too full. That's maybe overeating. So I want to remind everyone that if your MyFitnessPal says, you know, minus 500 calories for the day, that does not mean that you overate. Maybe that's exactly the amount your body needed that day. That does not constitute overeating. But if you feel uncomfortably full, then I would say, okay, maybe you did overeat. Um, When it falls into the world of binge eating is when it's also met with that feeling of losing control. So it's almost like physically you feel the fullness, but mentally your body's saying more, 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 more. And you're like, oh my God, I feel sick, but I can't stop eating. So that more so um, is a binge. And it's also usually a very large amount of food in a very short period of time. So if we just overeat casually, just because we're out to dinner and we're enjoying the food, I'd say, you know, that wouldn't be a binge, but if you're shoveling in a very large abnormal amount of food in, in a very short period of time, that would be more so um, binging. So in saying that, yes, overeating is part of binge eating, but every time you overeat doesn't mean you're binging. And the same with binge eating disorder. If you binge, that does not immediately mean you have binge eating disorder. And that can get really blurry because that's exactly why I had trouble getting a diagnosis for binge eating disorder or bulimia, because there's really strict criteria for um, like what constitutes as an eating disorder. And so this includes the frequency, how much you're eating, what period of time you eat this in, is there guilt and shame associated with it? Um, kind of what leads up to it, all sorts of circumstances surrounding the binge, um, and then more specifically that frequency. So in saying all of this, every single area of this overeating to binge eating disorder may constitute getting help. You know, if you overeat consistently and it doesn't feel like a binge, but you're overeating almost every day, maybe it would be a good idea to reach out to get help because that's still uncomfortable and doesn't make us feel great. Same with binging. If you say, oh, well, my doctor says I don't have binge eating disorder, so it must not be a problem. No, I mean, definitely if you're binging, there's something underlying that means you need to get help, which is why I specifically work with people who don't have a a diagnosis. I work with people with disordered eating because even in that realm, it is important to get help and to resolve what's causing these binges because it's uncomfortable and it prevents us from living our life. Um, and so, yeah, those are, that's kind of the differences. They all kind of intersect, um, but they, they have their, you know, different parameters to them. Yeah. And I love what you said there. Like this isn't to disregard any of them because they all deserve recognition. They all deserve, you know, help and support in that sense. But I think there is so much to be gained from being able to maybe, yeah, I, identify with one more often or just have that bit of clarity there because then maybe you can have that better idea of what way to go for recovery or you know the next step to take and something I kind of want to discuss here is also how easy it can be to overlook these things right because as you're discussing that like I can clearly see where for me it was as I was recovering you know I was still really stuck in the 
I guess, like mental side of disordered eating, right? Like I went to treatment, I got the physical treatment for anorexia nervosa, but then my mental, my mindset was still so off. And that's when I can start to see like where it was the binge eating happening. And I want to discuss how these types of behaviors can actually be not prompted, but just sort of normalized in common culture. So for me, looking back, I see how in school it was normal. Like I had many friends, right, who woke up, didn't eat breakfast, went all day, maybe had a little something at lunch, after school, sports, activities, whatever it is, you go home and then they're talking about like all the food they ate, right? Or for me, it was like, I had my definite foods I would binge eat on. And so, you know, how do we see common culture almost normalizing these aspects, right? Whether that's in college, uh, drinking days, et cetera. Like there's so many ways that it's there. Like how other, like, I guess, what are some other ways you see that happening just to raise awareness around ways that people might be almost partaking in this without even realizing in a sense? Yeah, absolutely. It is everywhere. And I have a similar um, experience where in school, the cool kids ate a granola bar for lunch. And you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't get lunch. I should just eat a granola bar. And it's like, what? Why? Why are we starving ourselves? It gives us no energy to learn or to play our sports or anything. Um, But yeah, it really is so normalized. Even in the dietary guidelines, they mention multiple times like eat, you know, well, but not too much or like, you know, eat less and lose weight and all this stuff. And so we see it everywhere. It's almost like more important than focusing on nutrition is focusing on our weight and controlling how much we're eating, which I think is really backwards because it tells us that we can't trust ourselves. It tells us that we have to rely on some arbitrary number telling us how much we're allowed to eat, which is just crazy because what does an app know about me, my metabolism, my exercise, you know, anything. And so, you know, in diet culture, um, it is very promoted to eat less, restrict, count macros, count calories, all of these different things that promise us this beautiful life of weight loss and energy and feeling great when in the long term, Um, it tends to lead back to us feeling miserable and binge eating and overeating because of feeling incredibly restricted. So yeah, it is really normalized, especially in the media. I mean, you see any movie or TV show and I don't, I don't think you can go through a single TV show and not get some sort of diet culture. I mean, I, I cringe when I watch TV shows now knowing what I know. And I'm like, come on, like, why did we have to put this in there? I think I was watching like Emily in Paris and there were multiple things. I, I, I mean, it was kind of like, I know that there's criticism about the show, but I enjoyed it. It was just one of those like silly little <laughs> rom-coms. I don't know, but there, I, there was some line in there. I watched it a while ago where they were talking about like smoking cigarettes and like, Oh, it's an appetite. But I'm like, what? You're, you're making that out to be a good thing. Like, oh, well, it makes you eat less. I'm like, yeah, but you're smoking. <laughs> like, it's just those things are put out there as if it, it's normal and it's good and it's praised. And that's what where the problem comes in um, until you kind of uncover the lies and then we get angry. <laughs> We're like, how dare they <laughs> brainwash us into believing all of this? But yeah, it is, it is everywhere. But luckily, in social media, I'm starting to see more and more people speaking out about anti-diet um, and like body positivity and things like that, which I think is at least helping plant seeds in people's minds to 
open their horizons to something more than dieting and trying to manipulate, manipulate their body. Yeah, it is crazy. Once you become aware of it, how easy it is to pick it up in media everywhere. And yeah, I haven't watched Emily in Paris yet, but I, there's been a few other shows where I'm watching and I'm just like, same thing. It's like, why, why? And I, I'm also a waitress. I've been in the service industry for years and, you know, just hearing the diet culture talk of, you know, people at restaurants and everything like that. And there's just so many times that you pick it up. And once you're aware of it, it does sort of like rub you the wrong way. Like you said, like you kind of get upset about it. It's like, really? Come on now. <laughs> um, and so it is, it is interesting just how many ways diet culture can get in there, but I agree. Social media for all the, you know, struggles that we do face with it, there's so much good too. You just kind of have to pick and choose what you're exposing yourself to. Exactly. You got to curate your social media feed. Um, oh, hundred percent. And I guess kind of on this note of media, diet culture, you know, a lot of people could classify these things as triggers per se. And I've made it abundantly clear on the show that I, I do think that triggers are an invitation to look within, you know, what is this triggering within you? It's not someone else purposefully trying to upset you or get you to start a, you know, there's so many things there, but in your experience and in your, you know, time in this field, what are some of the more like physical or mental triggers to perhaps a binge, right? Like we've discussed a few here, but are there any others like top of mind? Um, I know you do some amazing little like Instagram posts on these. I don't know what, they're not memes. I forget. I don't know what you'd call them. You know, like what's like an infographic infographic. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) You make some amazing infographics that just show different ways that might trigger, you know, that event. So could you just share a few of those just to give like an idea here? Yeah, absolutely. So like we've already talked about, definitely restriction under eating is a big um, trigger for binge eating over exercising can be because that's also a way for us to burn energy, burn calories. And if that goes under our needs for the day, that is essentially restriction. And I like that you also mentioned mentioned, um, mental triggers because that is bigger than I think a lot of people realize. I've talked to so many people who say, Marissa, I'm not restricting anymore. I'm allowing myself to eat all foods, but I'm still binging. And I say, well, what what are you thinking when you go for the Oreos? And I uncover usually that they say, yeah, I can have the Oreos, but only two. Or I shouldn't have had a second piece of pizza. I should have only had one. So these like should and should talks are conditions. It's conditional permission to eat these foods, but the conditions are restrictive Um, because what happens if one day you're a little extra hungry as our appetite does, that is literally our appetite. It's not supposed to be the same every day. So if one day you're a little extra hungry and you're having pizza that night, you say, well, I should only have one piece, but you're, you're hungrier today than you were last week when you had pizza. So now you want another piece, but you're thinking I shouldn't but then you have it and then there's guilt that can trigger a binge because it triggers that kind of all or nothing mindset of, well, I already screwed up. So I might as well just kind of keep eating it, get it over with, get it out of the house and never do it again. And so conditional thinking is a big trigger for a lot of my clients as well. It was for me, even once I tried to let go of food rules, I would have shame and guilt associated with food and it it could trigger a binge. Um, another thing that I was thinking of was even the fear of weight gain, uh, can trigger a binge, which is really hard to work through. And I've, I have so much empathy for, you know, 
that desire to want to lose weight because of course you want to lose weight. It's what society tells you you have to do to be a good person, which is just so backwards. And I work through that a lot with people as well as that desire where it comes from and um, learning to have more acceptance for our body to take care of it rather than fight it. But anyway, in saying that, the the fear of weight gain in recovery can cause us to binge because that also can cause restriction or resistance to eating. Because like I said, with the pizza, if we go for that second piece, but in our head, we're thinking, oh, you know, but I want to lose weight. Maybe I shouldn't have the second piece. There's those conditions again. So they, again, kind of all interlace, but I'd say obviously physical restriction is one of the biggest triggers, but also mental restrictions, mental parameters, conditions, and things like that can cause us to trigger a binge. And then on top of that, emotional reasons, stress, emotional eating definitely relates to binge eating. So um, working through the emotional eating can be part of binge eating recovery as well. Yeah. I think the first time it really hit home with me that I was still having the mental restriction was I was actually interviewing a woman on the podcast about eating disorder specialties. And she brought up this concept of vitamin P, which is just basically like vitamin pleasure. Like, are you allowing yourself to enjoy this food? Right. It's like, yeah, I'm not restricting. I'm enjoying, you know, dessert and the pizza and this and that, but the whole time I'm eating it, I'm telling, you know, like mentally, it's like, I'm telling myself, okay, only one more or, you know, like this is just for now, tomorrow you're back to this. And I just hadn't hit home until we were talking, you know, in this live discussion between her and I, how I was still doing that in so many little ways without even realizing. And that was, yeah, for me, it was always more so that mental restriction that was leading to these occurrences. So I think that is so important. And one thing I wanted to bring up that I saw in one of your infographics that I just really resonated with was, um, when it comes to that mental side, but more so like with healthy, quote unquote, healthy swaps, like healthy alternatives, things like that, and how that can also prompt these binge, you know, events to happen, overeating, et cetera. So could you just talk a bit on that about how, you know, choosing these quote unquote healthy options can be a natural craving. It can be something we actually want, but then there's the other flip side, right? And I think it kind of ties into that should mindset as well. Absolutely. Well, I love that analogy of like vitamin P that you heard once before, because going off of this idea of like healthy swaps, it's all about that satisfaction. So I know in one of those infographics, I said like um, sugar-free latte or like, you know, they call it skinny lattes at Starbucks, which I don't like, but you know, those skinny lattes, low fat, low sugar, whatever. Ask yourself, is this satisfying? If the answer is yes, sure, get the skinny one if that's what you enjoy. If you say, no, it makes me want more of it and feel unsatisfied, or I wish I got something else, then don't get it. Get the other thing. Because if we leave ourselves feeling unsatisfied, that can trigger a binge because the binge is seeking satisfaction. It's seeking that stimulation that we get from satisfaction. So it's better for you just to get what you enjoy and move on rather than eat the low calorie, low fat, whatever version of it and crave more. So one time I saw from um, a fellow colleague, she's the, the feel good dietitian on Instagram. She did one where it was like, 
craves ice cream um, or craves, craves strawberry ice cream. It's like, okay, one, tries to eat strawberries. Two, tries to eat a rice cake with strawberry jelly. Three, like tries to eat strawberry flavored, low calorie, you know, sorbet. And then it's like four, binges on the ice cream. Or you could just crave strawberry ice cream, eat some ice cream and move on. Instead of eating all of these other things just to end up overeating on the strawberry ice cream in the end, it's like, why can't we give ourselves that permission to just have some, have enough that's satisfying and move on. You'd probably actually end up eating less in that case um, rather than eating all of these other things to try to fill that void of just craving the strawberry ice cream. So yes, kind of going back to your point, you can of course choose the more nutritious options if that's satisfying, but if it's not, don't do it because why, (laughs) you know, health is so much more than nutrition. Um, and that, that's another kind of big conversations we, we get into here, but health is also satisfaction. It's also tradition. It's also culture. And so if you're sacrificing those other areas of health for nutrition, how healthy is that actually? You know, when we expand our definition of health to all of these other areas, even having social life and, and feeling love from others that you're surrounded by is healthy for us. And so if we seclude ourselves because we're scared of the food in the social setting, that is not necessarily the healthiest thing. So when we expand that, that viewpoint, we can also find a health benefit in the full fat ice cream because it's enjoyable and satisfaction. And that is also part of health. Oh, a hundred percent. And I love what you're saying here, because for me, you know, I, an indicator to me of the truth of this, right. Is that For so many years, I was eating what you could call like such a great nutritional diet, right? Like it was spot on, everything was right. And yet I was so sick. I had, you know, multiple issues going on. Didn't get a period for like nine, never got a period for like six, seven years. And then it wasn't until more recently where my, you know, my food is so varied. I am like less controlling in so many aspects you wouldn't, you know, from the outside, you wouldn't call it like the most nutritionally dense, whatever it would be. And there's so many other factors moving right now. And it is now where I'm prioritizing the social health, the mental health, the emotional health, all these aspects of it, the stress that I am finally feeling like so much better. And my period is, you know, starting to become consistent again. And so there's like these indicators that just go to show like, there is so much more to health than just like, the food you put into your body and the movement you do, right? Like there's just so many more avenues to it. Yeah. And you just said something there. You said, you know, you were stressed. Mm -hmm. We forget about the impact stress has on our health. So if choosing the low fat version stresses you out because you're really craving the other thing, that's not the best choice. Um, If missing out on social settings because you're fearing the menu at this restaurant stresses you out because you're not getting that, that social meter filled in your life, then that's not, you know, the best thing you'd be better off going, enjoying the mac and cheese and enjoying the company that you're with. And that's helpful. And that's why I tend to not use the word healthy as much as I use the word like nutritious or less nutritious, because I think I could say anything is healthy because it could be healthy in a social aspect, or it could be healthy in a traditional aspect, could be healthy in a cultural aspect. That doesn't always mean it's nutritious, but it still has a health impact. And so, you know, if I'm going to talk about a food, I might say it's less nutritious, but that's not good or bad because it could still be healthy if that means I'm enjoying company of family and friends. 
Oh, I love that. I, oh my gosh, I want to scream that from the rooftops. <laughs> the next time someone comes to me and they're like, what do you suggest? I want to be healthy. I'm going to say that, like, this is what, this is what healthy means. Like, oh, I love that so much. Um, and yeah, what a way to help remove those labels, right. Of good and bad and everything in between just to kind of be upfront with, you know, health, health, healthy can be such a broad term. Uh, there are foods that are nutrition, more nutritionally dense and less, and that's just a fact, right? Like mm -hmm. there's no back and forth. Um, but kind of looping back to something you said before, cause I wanted to make sure to not forget about it when it comes to emotional eating. I'd love to just like discuss this a bit here because I know for me personally, and I'm sure some others could relate, it could get tricky to right. Be experiencing maybe consistent overeating or binge eating, you know, events, occurrences, and then also have emotional eating come in and feel very confused and conflicted on what is okay in a sense, what's more of an issue. So could we just discuss like emotional eating a bit, your thoughts on it, maybe how to understand, you know, I guess just what, is there a difference between I need to get some maybe support with this overeating, these binge eating occurrences or I'm emotional and this needs to happen right now. I would just love to hear your thoughts overall. Yeah, so it is definitely a really nuanced area of overeating and binge eating is emotional eating because emotional eating could be the core of the binge eating. I'd say more likely than not, it's not the core reason. It's just almost like a symptom um, of, of the under eating causing the overeating or the binging. But so, so it really takes like an individualized approach, but what I found and, and what I understand is that when we heal the binge eating and we also tie in other coping mechanisms and, and taking care of our emotional health, then the, when we feel emotional, we can start to resort to other things. But when we have that need to binge already, meaning we've, we've been under eating or all of these other triggers, you know, that we've already talked about. If one of those things are already going on, um, then the emotional eating might just be the gateway to allowing ourselves to binge, if that makes sense. So the binging may have still had like that need may have still been there, but our emotional state allowed us to kind of let that guard down and say, all right, I'm going to eat emotionally because I'm, you know, feeling vulnerable and it's, the need is there. And so by fulfilling that need, I'm at least feeling, fulfilling something. But however, on the flip side, if somebody doesn't have a toolbox of coping mechanisms that help them when they're feeling stressed or emotional in some way, that's another area that we need to address because although food is a coping mechanism and it's not always a bad coping mechanism, I know I have a post that says like unpopular opinion, emotional eating isn't always a bad thing because, and I, I say that because emotional eating is just a way of coping. And if it's something that we do every now and then, it's not something that I would say is a big problem because sometimes we just want to cuddle up on the couch with a bag of chips and watch a, our favorite like sad movie and cry. And that's okay. But if it's, it's always about if it's something that's going on consistently or causes you more pain, then it might be something that we want to address. So with people who I work with who are experiencing emotional eating, I usually try to get to the core of the, the binge eating first, but then also tying in other coping mechanisms um, and preparation strategies, meaning, you know, if you're consistently getting stressed at 
4 p.m. every single day and emotional eating, let's talk about preparing for 4 p.m. instead of only ever addressing once the emotion arises. So it's kind of like a long-winded answer, but there's just so many um, situations and it's very different for every person. But over air, emotional eating is not always a bad thing. It really just kind of depends on the uh, amount and if it causes more harm than good. I love that. Yeah, I always try to remind myself like, the term comfort food, it was created somewhere somehow for a reason, right? Like there's just times when food is a comfort. And I like what you said there about recognizing, is there a consistency, a pattern, you know, like the deeper, deeper roots here. Uh, So this being said, I think in my opinion, like one thing that does connect between all of these, you know, whether it's emotional eating, overeating, binging, et cetera, is it can be so easy to fall into the shame spiral afterwards or like the guilt, um, the just feeling that now I need to do X, Y, and Z to return to whatever state, et cetera. So when these occurrences happen and it's like, how can we support ourselves afterwards? Right. Because I have seen many friends recently just share a bit about how it is so hard after these times. And when you go through it to then pick, you know, kind of like pick yourself up the next day and not let yourself fall back into that cycle. And it's, you know, it's, I know it's hard. There's a lot to it, but generally like, what are some ways that you suggest supporting yourself afterwards versus just like shame punching yourself practically? (laughs) Yeah. Because we know that guilt and shame doesn't help. It doesn't stop the binges or emotional eating from happening again. So the biggest thing that I tell people is to stay curious about why the binge happened. Um, So instead of us judging ourselves saying, oh, I can't believe this happened again. I told myself I wouldn't do it again recognize that the binge is a message from your body that there was a need not being met or that there was perceived danger because binging really is a protective measure from our body, protecting us from something, even if we're not completely recognizing that for ourselves. So stay curious as to why the binge happened, because then we can problem solve to move forward. We can recognize, oh, okay. So I missed lunch because I was running late for my next meeting and I only ate a granola bar. So maybe my body perceived that I was going back into a famine. And so it triggered this binge and I couldn't really get a hold of it before, you know, it got the best of me. So next time I need to recognize that I do need to prioritize lunch because it it will result in me overeating or binging. So when we stay curious, we can more so problem solve to move forward. But of course, that can be hard for us not to get in that shame cycle. So just to always remind yourself that every binge or overeating where we do allow ourselves to somewhat stay curious and compassionate with ourselves just improves our ability to listen to our body. I usually try to, you know, use the analogy of even the most seasoned cyclists fall off their bike sometimes, you know, they do. And Every time they fall off and get back on, they're getting better and better at riding their bike. They're getting better and better at understanding the bumps in the road that they didn't see before and now they're aware of. So moving forward, they can avoid those. So the same with binging or overeating or on the journey to intuitive eating, reminding yourself an affirmation or a mantra such as I'm getting better and better every day at learning how to listen to my body can be a good way to kind of connect ourselves back to the center, which is, you know, recovery is learning. It really is. I love that. It's such a, you know, when it comes to self-compassion and awareness and these cycles, like I think that they just go hand in hand. And it's so, so important in that sense. And 
you know, also it seems like there is that bit of prevention, you know, as you said, the giving yourself compassion and moment to pause and think and reflect, why did this happen? It can lead to that problem solving to almost the prevention step. And, you know, granted, don't get like too hard on yourself if you try to prevent something and it still happens, right? Like that's life. Unexpected is always popping up. But besides that, are there any other, you know, almost like prevention techniques or maybe like self check-ins that you would advise just for anyone that might be experiencing this in some way or another? Yeah, absolutely. I get the question a lot of like, how do I resist the urge to binge? If that urge comes up, what do I do? I usually say resisting the urge to binge is not a sustainable practice for healing from binge eating because all you're doing is ignoring the signal from your body that something is wrong. It's perceived danger or whatever it might be, we're ignoring that. But of course, if we want to slow down and take care of ourselves in that moment without it spiraling into a binge, how could we possibly do that? You know, we can still recognize that there was an urge and try to problem solve from that, but of course nobody wants to binge. So what could we possibly do to prevent or alleviate the, I usually call it just like heightened energy or chaotic energy around a binge? And sometimes what I'll recommend for some clients is to set a 20 minute timer when that urge comes up and do something else, leave the room. Don't stay in the room. Don't just sit on the couch, like physically do something else. I don't care if it's as simple as taking a shower or as complicated as like going for a walk and listening to a playlist, just something where you change your scenery, you change your, your headspace and you're focused on something else. Now that timer is going to go off. So when the timer goes off, 20 minutes is up, then reassess, what do I need? And if you still think I need food, you need food. And so go ahead, make yourself a meal, sit down with it, enjoy it in a slow, full and mindful way, the best you can. So no distractions if you can, um, and try to kind of stay in, in touch with your body, because if there's that urge, it's likely that you do need food, but maybe we can just kind of, um, alleviate some of that anxiety leading up to the binge to where we can do so in more of a calm manner. So that's kind of a, a tip that I would give for a lot of people if those urges are coming up more so later in their recovery. But I hesitate to tell that to everyone because like I said, resisting the urge can sometimes make the binges worse. So it really depends on the person. But if that binge urge to binge comes up, allow yourself to eat the food because that's likely what you need. And more so let's talk about what you're going to do afterwards, which is don't restrict anymore, stay compassionate and stay curious. I love that. And I think in that sense, I understand completely what you mean, where sometimes that, you know, distraction or sort of like postponing it can help and other times it cannot. And I know a few times where like, I felt that, that crazy energy, that way you described it um, in recent months for me also helped like to eat, you know, kind of part, you know, part of it, right. Like eat a bit, satiate myself and then go do something. And then if I was still hungry, try to like come back. And I mean, it's like a give and take, but another thing it made me think of is I'm reading the book currently atomic habits. And it's just discussing really breaking down how we form habits, how we sustain them. And the idea of, you know, a cue comes into place and then something triggers us. And then, you know, like the event happens and then there's the reward center that gets triggered. And last night it was just reading, you know, talking about how those are each, you know, how these, those play a part in habits and the dopamine effect. And 
it just made me think as you were saying that how this can become such a habit, right? And as you were saying before, like a certain time of day, um, maybe like a certain type of event, uh, whatever it be. And so if anyone is struggling, maybe I, I actually would suggest maybe that book because it really is tying into a lot of what you're saying here about just being aware and conscious of like what might what might trigger this and then also like how to kind of like build a system to help ease the tension the energy that you know just like everything that goes into it so right there's and kind of with it becoming habitual because that's such a good point is usually if it's habitual I encourage someone to look at the pattern okay what's the pattern if this is happening every day at 10 p.m what is the pattern of those days that it does happen? Is it, you know, are you eating the same thing every day for dinner? Are you eating the same thing every day for lunch? Are those the days where you have a really stressful workload or are those the days where you ate really early? Like there's so many options, but if we can find patterns, that's also a way that we can problem solve. And so, you know, if you find that the pattern is, okay, on those days are the days that I rush from work to my, I don't know, kickball practice or whatever it is, you might say, oh, okay, maybe I need to have a snack on my way to kickball practice. And let's see if that can kind of disrupt that pattern. Yeah, I mean, that is, it's very true. I mean, there's so many, you know, it could be a TV show or, you know, a friend's night, whatever it is, like there's so many like little cues that you could probably pick up on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just sort of like expect it before the wave, <laughs> the wave comes crashing right. in. Uh, so I guess overall, is there just any like last bit of advice or insight, um, even just like a personal, you know, sort of mantra you'd like to share with anyone just struggling overall, you know, with their relationship to food, body image, mm-hmm. wellness, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so much I could say here, but I think the biggest thing is, you can trust yourself. I know diet culture and everyone is telling you you can't and you have to rely on a stupid app to tell you when to eat and what to eat and how much to eat, but it's not true. You don't rely on an app to tell you when to go to the bathroom. So don't rely on an app to tell you what to eat, when to eat and how much to eat. It may take time to rebuild up trust if you've been in a pattern of relying on external validators to listen to your body. So it may take time, patience and curiosity to figure out how to listen to yourself again and trust that, but it is possible. You can trust yourself. You can trust your body and um, yeah, just be patient. Oh, I love that. That's actually so neat. I I'm trying to find a therapist. I just moved and I'm trying to find one. And the other day I was having a consultation with one and I was just kind of rambling about everything I'm feeling, experiencing, want support. And she's like, so what I'm getting is that you really want to work on trust and, you know, trust in relationships. I was like, oh yeah. Like I, I don't feel like I trust myself fully around food. I don't trust that like my body will be okay if I don't do this, this, and this. And then with friendships and personal relationships, et cetera. And I think so often we do forget how big a role trust plays, right? In so many aspects of life. So that is beautiful. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, well, where can people find you, connect, learn more? You are truly a light in this space, so. Aww, thank you so much, this was great. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at binge.nutritionist. And there you can find basically all my links to everything, my YouTube and my blog and, and all that fun stuff, but definitely connect with me over there. I'd love to talk to anybody listening. Perfect.